This is John Byrne, the lead pastor here at Grace Fellowship, and this is the Grace Deep Dive Podcast, recorded deep in the depths of the Grace Fellowship basement here in Lakewood, Colorado. We dive a little deeper into Sunday sermon. I'm Johnny McCloskey, and I'll be your host on the Grace Deep Dive Podcast. Hey, John, I just want to say, great sermon this week. <laughs> Yeah, it was a okay. good one, actually. Yeah, it actually uh, hit me in a lot of good ways. So I think uh, you, you unlocked some uh, secrets. Did that I unlock I, uh, a secret? Yeah, that I wasn't uh, kind of aware of. I know I, the, the sermon series is Unlocking the Secrets of the Christian Life, and this week was Virtues and Vices. And uh, I was asking my wife, I said, hey, uh, do you have any questions that I can ask John? And she actually said, you know what, John does such a good job of keeping it of keeping it concise and to the point and I just don't I think she's probably just trying to get out of asking questions uh, or whatever yeah, right. but I think I'm, I'm going to start using that from now on uh, yeah John I don't have any questions this week because uh, you did such a good job yeah, with, right. uh, with the sermon well you know I don't, I don't know about the whole concise part you know I, I go a little long usually but not not too bad. Yeah, well, you know, I did like I did like what I kind of liked about the sermon. I think is you you really touched on the idea of, um, you know, a lot of times we we do want to add things to our faith, like you said, furnish our faith. Yeah. But it's almost we add things to our faith for salvation. A lot of times we we add the we if I have to do these things also in order to be saved. Yeah. And I think you really did a good job of of differentiating that. That virtue is something that we add to our faith. It's not what saves us, right? But it's something we should be adding. Right. But um, kind of just jumping right in, John. You you talked. Uh, you switched up the 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 Bible that I, you used. I switched. I did. Yeah, not I changed the Bible, versions. but the uh, version. Yeah, I usually use the NIV. I do. Yeah, switch to the ESV, which is yeah. the English Standard Version. Yeah. Um, uh, why why are there different versions? Now, I mean, you don't have to say why. I know why because you had the word virtue in there, right? You kind of like that. Yeah, I mean, that's specifically why I did it on this sermon. Uh, it's it translate the translation was slightly different. I think um, uh, sometimes it's that there can be a benefit in using one version or over another. Uh, generally speaking, I don't like to switch versions a lot. Uh, but the only reason that I don't like that is just because I, I think it's important that we have consistency and, and that people kind of know, okay, this is the version we use at Grace. It doesn't mean that the, the version we use, we generally use the NIV, the New International Version. Um, it doesn't mean that that one's somehow better than the rest. It's just what we use, although that's the version I, I tend to recommend to people. Um, so why, yeah, why are there different versions? Yeah, well, I mean... Shouldn't so, there just be one? Shouldn't yeah. there be? Well, yeah. there, yes, uh, sort of. Okay. Maybe. Um, so we obviously we have, you know, the originals were one. There, there wasn't like different versions of Paul, Paul's letter to the, to the Ephesians or something. Um, there was one original version, right? Oh, and, and that one was copied and that kind of thing. But so we have our, our Greek manuscripts in the New Testament, our Hebrew for the old. And, and we look at those and we, we try to translate those to English. But there is no one-to-one translation for any language when you translate it to another language. You're always trying to convey the message of the original writer or speaker the best you can in a, in a, in, in the negative na- native lang- language for us, which is English. And so, and so we have different versions because they prioritize different things in their translation. And so the new international version, uh, tries to hold in balance both readability and, um, and, 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 and while still being able to convey the thought for thought message of what the original authors intended. And so that's kind of what the NIV does. And the NIV makes a lot of translation decisions that a lot of 
the vast majority of readers don't even know need to be made when they read another version. And so other versions will sometimes prioritize other things like your New American Standard Bible uh, will prioritize being as close to the original as it can be, which which often comes across in a little bit more of a wooden uh, or stiff way of translating. And so and so some of those things, and it doesn't make a lot of the decisions that the NIV will make. So so when you got participles, I know this is really getting into the weeds here, but you get you get participles, and a lot of times, which participles in in English are the are words that end in ing. You know, running is a participle, and so it's like a verbal noun kind of thing. And so in in the New American Standard Bible, you'll just see it translated as a basic participle. But participles take on all kinds of different grammatical. Um, usages. And so the NIV will make a decision about, oh, well, this is being used in this particular way. And so we're going to translate it as a noun or as a verb or as a, this kind of verb or that kind of noun, that kind of thing. And so, and so the NIV will, instead of just keeping it a basic participle, will we'll make a decision a lot of times on those things. And so, so because, because most people don't even know a decision needs to be made, I think the NIV is usually better for most readers. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So it's not really, and it's not really a, obviously a, a huge stumbling issue, anyways. It I shouldn't mean, be. Yeah, it should. You, you kind of pick the version you like, and and I think don't really criticize. You know, if there's a version you don't like, or yeah, once in a while, sometimes there's some criticism. The NIV got in trouble a number of years back because of uh, their use of certain pronouns and things like that, and um, you know those those kinds of things happen. But they're they're trying to do their best to. Make it relative to well to to convey the the, the original meaning. Yeah, the, because our language changes. Because language know. changes. I, I remember I, I'm I, I kind of tend to lean, I tend to lean a little bit to the let's keep it wooden or whatever and, and most most like the original. Mm-hmm. And I kind of I'm an NIV guy actually too, which is ironic, but um, it's kind of what I grew up on. Yeah, but I, I kind of appreciate the idea of trying to adhere to the original, but or as much as you can. But then you do start to see that our culture is always changing. And I talked to somebody who worked for the NIV, the translation team, and mm-hmm. he was saying that, you know, you should update your Bible every 10 years. Oh, for sure. Just because the culture, you know, with new new mm-hmm. words and, and mm-hmm. new phrases that, you know, even with all these new, you know, it's, yeah. just, it's just it's just always something you should be. Well, and I don't and I don't think, you know, everybody wants to be as close to the original as possible. But the question is, do you want... You know, do you want a translation? Because what happens is this, and, and people, a lot of people don't understand this. They go, "Oh, I, a lot of people that are really big fans of like the New American Standard Bible or the English Standard by English Standard Version uh, will say, well, I just want to be as close to the original." And and they think that because there, it's there's no such thing as a word for word translation, but but a more w- wooden or formal translation. And so and so they'll, they'll go, well, because it's a more formal translation that when I, what I'm reading is actually closer to what the original author wanted to convey. But that's not necessarily the case, and that's the problem. But they think they're getting closer to the original um, by keeping a more wooden or literal translation or formal translation, but they're actually not sometimes. Yeah, if, if sometimes they're getting further away from it because of because of how lang- language and translation works. Yeah. They're actually further away from it, where, whereas if they had a little bit more of a dynamic translation, um, something a little bit more like the NIV, they'd actually be closer to the original meaning. But... Um, but they, but people who don't understand translation and how that goes and, and the original languages and all that kind of stuff, they don't know that. And so they just, they just want to be as close to the original as possible. Yeah, and and that's fine. I've seen, uh, Greek translated, you know, with the translated words yeah. and it's not even a, there's no flow to it. There's no sentence flow. You well, have, the, you have to fill in some sort of 
you have to create some sort of sentence flow, right? Sentence well, structure. Not, not only that, but yeah, the sentence structure is different. It's a mm-hmm. different grammatical rules that govern Greek versus versus English. And so because of how we uh, structure our sentences and Greek structures its sentences, um, you can't just go word for word. So so you, you you Greek uses things like verb endings, and we use verb endings to some degree, but but Greek makes much more use of verb endings and even noun endings and things like that to tell you what the grammatical function of the word is. We use often a lot more like word order to tell us what the grammatical function of a word is. And so and so those things change. But not only that, but even even how we use words. Like if I say, hey, Johnny, give me some green. What are you going to give me? Some money. Some money. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't say money. I, I said green. Green's yeah. a color. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, what if I said... Well, you know, what if I said, Johnny, do you live a green lifestyle? What, do, what would that mean? I spent, do I spend a lot of money on myself? Just kidding. No, no, no. it doesn't. Yeah, no. right. But what does it mean? No, it means uh, economic or uh, taking care of the environment. Taking care of the environment, right? But I, but it's the same words, but it, but the context determines a different translation, right? Yeah. Same, so unless you know that. Yeah, that's the same in every language. And so a lot of times when we translate those things, we gotta, uh, we gotta, we gotta. We got to figure out a word can have multiple meanings, which one is this based on its context. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's that and, the, and obviously sentence structure and there's all kinds of things that go into well, it. Well, I just opened up a can, didn't I? Oh, you sure did. Oh, boy. Well, translations, uh, it's it's difficult. There's a reason why there's made different translations. And, yeah. you know, if you're using an ESV or an NASB or you're fine uh, or an NIV or I mean, you, you know, there's a lot of there's other ones. CEB, there's there's a lot of other translations and you're going to you're going to. You're gonna. You're, you're okay. gonna be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we we're talking about just the process of, of getting to a Bible, all kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. Gonna switch gears a little bit. Yeah. Uh, producing laws, legislature, all that kind of stuff. We talked about how how God is a source of virtue. Yeah. True virtue. Yeah. So how how I mean uh, this is probably uh, a question you can't answer, but how should policies and laws be made to govern a nation of people who maybe don't believe in God? Well, that's a good question. I mean, there's. Um, I mean, I have an answer. I don't know if it's the right answer. Uh, um, you know, it's that's that's really difficult. And people will say will say things like, "Oh, you can't legislate morality." And and I want to suggest to you that everything you legislate is legislating some kind of morality. It all is, um, whether it's business practices or um, e- even the whole you know healthcare thing, right? And whether it's you know you're for universal healthcare or you think it should be privatized or whatever your whatever your political approach to that is, you're you're basing that on a virtue or a moral of some kind. You're you know the 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 whole universal healthcare. Um, argument is that is that it's a human right. It's a moral good. It's a virtue to make sure that every person has a particular kind of health care in a particular way. That's what you're Protect doing. So to legislate humanity, that, yeah. yeah, to legislate that is a moral mm. decision. In the same way, if you think, um, well, I, I think I want to take a free, a more free market approach to health care. I mean, you might even have some of the same moral ends in mind and a different way to get there. I think that's often the case is, is a different understanding of how things work. But, um, but the, again, you're, you're prioritizing, you're, you're prioritizing virtues and morals over other things. And so when we, you know, when we, when we legislate morality, we're doing so hopefully our intent anyways, is to do so for the good of everybody. Right. And so, so that's what we're doing. So, you know, as far as like in, in a culture where uh, we like to 
talk about separation of church and state and those kinds of things. There's all sorts of misunderstanding about that, what originally meant versus what it means now. Um, two very different things. Uh, and you can argue about which one, the way it should be. You can say, well, the founders got it right or we're getting it right today, whatever. Um, you can argue about that. But but the idea is that we, we legislate we, for the good of humanity, right? And so I think this comes comes to play in a lot of different political issues that are not just political issues. They're theological issues, they're philosophical issues, they're, they're all of those things all rolled up into one. The, the question about life, you know, abortion and, and, and sanctity of life, obviously that's a moral issue and a political issue and a theological issue. It's all of those things. So I think, I think we should carry our theology into the voting booth with us for sure. Um, you know, that doesn't, you know, we need to be careful, right? right? There's a role for government and, and a role, you know, a pastor is not a president and a president is not a pastor. Um, and that's intentional. There's a difference between those two things. Uh, on the other hand, you know, Romans 13 talks about the government being in place to carry the sword and, and to, to um, make sure there's justice. And so the, the government has a role in that, even from a Christian worldview. And so we should, we should try to put people in place in our government that bring about justice. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that goes in all kinds of different directions, which we could probably talk about for two hours. So, so most politicians are going to legislate some sort of virtue or morality they based on, are. based on their morality. Every one of them. Obviously we would like, we would like, a, we would like every decision to be made based on the morality and virtue of God, which is the purest form. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and God and God's virtues express itself through conscience, through our human conscience, right? Or you know, even if you're not a Christian, there is a conscience of of sorts that drives you. There's a sense of morality. We, you know, across cultures, uh, no matter what the religion, like we generally generally think like, you know, abusing children for fun is wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's things that we just go, oh, it's wrong, whether you're a Christian or not, right? Just know it. Yeah. Where does that come from? The source is still God. The source of the moral thing is still still God's God's more morality and His virtues. Um, it's represented in in all of His creatures who who have the the image of God within them. Right? They still carry some sense of that. Mm-hmm. They might not turn to Scripture to um, round that understanding out, so to speak, or to further their understanding of God's morals and virtues. Virtues, but but at least a piece of that is still with them. Yeah. So, yeah, so when it comes to policies and, and uh, laws and things like that, we should definitely want to have um, an environment that furthers the good of all, all people. And, and I would argue that, generally speaking, that's, that's the Christian understanding of things. Mm-hmm. I'm not arguing for a theocracy. That's different. Yeah. Right? But um, I think you, if you go back to this, this can get into the weeds a lot, too, but it's important. If you go back and you look at history and where, where Christianity has had an influence in lawmaking, it's, it's generally been good. Not always, yeah, not but always, yeah. there's exceptions, but we would say those exceptions are because they their misunderstood virtue. Yeah. what their scripture virtue teaches falling. Yeah, and their virtue was not God's virtue. Yeah. They, were they may have claimed it. Yeah. They, right. They may have claimed it, but they were mistaken. Yeah. Right. And same, same today. Um, we can make mistakes too, but, but where Christianity has had the heaviest influence in, in the right kind of way, Generally speaking, you can you can go. Oh, it's been good for all people. Yeah, and that's I mean that's the beauty of Christianity. I think, anyways, is you know we you know throughout our whole existence of sanctification and growing, you know we have to check our virtue. Is it God's virtue mm-hmm. in us, or is it our warped 
virtue right. that we think is this is our warped morality. Like, and you'll see it. I see it a lot of people where they, you know, even my unbelieving friends and they love their kids or they love, like you said, they have these weird, awesome, virtuous things that are, right. that are from God. And then at the same time, they're, they're spouting hatred or whatever, or they're, they're, you know, they're pro this mm. or whatever. And, you know, it's like, ah, you're, you're not quite there. And I think it's worth the hardship of, of what we're called to do. Like you said on Sunday is we're called to proclaim God's virtue. And, you know, within the church, we know that we're used to that checks and we're used to the repentance thing. Mm -hmm. The culture isn't used to that. Right. So when you call them out, they don't like that. They don't get mad. They get mad. mad. Yeah. So how do we handle that when people are put off by that? Well, I think, I think two things. One is, is we need to first recognize that when you start to, um, stand up against things that are prevalent in culture, no matter how you do it, you will get some feedback mm-hmm. and, it, and, it, and, and you will get negative feedback. And so, so you have to be ready to, to receive that. And I think, you know, this, this next Sunday, Sanctity of Life Sunday, uh, we're going we're gonna to have somebody come from Alternatives Pregnancy Center and talk for a couple minutes about what they do and things like that. I, you know, we, uh, we believe in the sanctity of life at Grace. It doesn't mean you have to agree with us in order to come to church here, but but this, that's what we believe. We believe that the unborn are, are living human beings and, and they need to be protected. Um, but we also want to love mothers and, uh, you know, who have kids too. And we want to love those kids after they're born. We don't, we don't love all those kids, but, you know, both born and unborn. But but we, we take time to go, hey, you know, this is important. Um, and that's an issue that is very divisive in our culture right now. And you, you start to say you're, you're pro-life and then, you know, the other side will say, well, you're against... Uh, um, you know, I forget how they put it right off the top of my head, but you know, they, they started about choice for women or something like that. And you mm-hmm. go, well, no, I'm, you know, I'm not trying to control women at all. Um, not trying to do that at all. I'm just trying to protect life. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that human life, and that's really, really important. And the most innocent and uh, vulnerable among us is, is the unborn. And so I'm just trying to protect them. And I want to, I want to love everyone, every woman in the appropriate way and, yeah. and that kind of thing. And they should, and, and there's lots of choices they should have, but nobody has a hundred percent autonomy and can do whatever they we want. We all have control. Everybody over has yeah. limits, right? Everybody has boundaries. And, uh, and it's, that's certainly true when it comes to, to other humans. Yeah. Well, um, I would say I, I have no problem if, if, if you are protecting the unborn, then I have no problem if that's going to affect somebody's control or their choice. Then I'm yeah. I'm okay. I mean I'm okay with that, right? Um, because I, I, you know, you're protecting protecting a life. So if it yeah. means I'm affecting your choice, then I guess I am. Yeah. But if if your choice is to harm something, I'm right. I'll, I'll always step in. You know. Right. I mean, I so I would hope at least. Yeah. Well, and and there's a, and this is why worldview is so important, right? Because for for the Christian, we look at every human being, we see they carry the image of God with them within them. Uh, whether they are unborn or they're born, it doesn't matter. They, they all have the image of God in them. Uh, the, the, the woman, the mother, has the image of God in them. The, the, the unborn the, um, has, has the image of God in them. The born, they, you know, the child has the image of God in them. So we look at all of that and say they all have the image of God. But if you are outside the Christian worldview, especially if you happen to be, uh, believe that we are just basically evolved animals, then that, that creates a very different view of, of that whole thing. You know, we, 
generally as a culture, at least we, we, we kill animals and eat them, mm-hmm. you know, cows, beef, right. That's where, that's what that we judge humans that right. would do that. I would kill humans to eat them. You know what I'm saying? We would, right. That's weird. It, it's weird. Yeah, yeah. Cause if we're just sort of an evolved animal, then, then what difference does it make? And then we're just like all the other animals, right. We just happen to be able to think that better can- or Cannibalism is not a big deal. Though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I'm, we're not saying that atheists believe cannibalism is no, not no, a big but deal. Yeah, if you're going to, yeah. <laughs> right? We're, that's not what we're saying, but we're that's just, a, we're carrying it to its its absurd of course. point when we say that. But but that, but the point is this, that that there's a, there is a difference as a Christian when I see the uh, the world in a certain way. I'm, I'm drawing my virtues from the character of God, which revealed uh, both in nature and in scripture. And, and then I'm applying those to all life, where if you don't have that, then, then you're going to come to a very different conclusion about what what choice is. Mm. Yeah. You know, um, kind of jumping out you mentioned Galatians five kind of jumping. It's kind of similar to just kind of as Christians were called to beat down our flesh, essentially to kind of, kind of our virtues from God. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it gets warped. So we need to constantly be evaluating, constantly be repenting and changing and learning and all yeah. that kind of stuff, which is sometimes annoying, you know, yeah. and, and, but it is what it is, you know, we're, we're fallen creatures. Yeah. Um, in Galatians five, you talked about all the, the, the acts of sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, all that kind of stuff. Jealousy. Yeah. Yeah. And even, uh, people who live like this will not yeah. inherit the kingdom of God. Yeah. So the question <laughs> I've always struggled with too is, uh, if we do some of those things as Christians, yeah, and you even said that you struggle with those things too. I mean, some of those some things, of those too, some, yeah, right. Um, does that mean we won't inherit the kingdom of God? Right. Well, I mean, that's what I, I think. I think what Paul's trying to drive home here is that if you are, if you serve the flesh, mm-hmm. right? Here's this. Here's the symptoms of that. And if you're serving the flesh, if you're if you're out to simply satisfy the desires of the flesh, in other words, you know, you have this idea that the the goal in life is to you know, live large, live fast. And because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, everybody dies and that's the end. And so you're just going to, you're just going to have as much pleasure as you can and, and hope that it's a lot more than the the pain and the sorrow that you have. And that's, that's your entire goal in life. Remove, remove any kind of pain or suffering or anything from life. I just want to, I just want to, you know, live in a world of pleasure, debauchery, envy, all that kind of stuff. And those are the symptoms of it. In other words, if that's the, if that's the world I embrace, then yeah, I'm not going to inherit the kingdom of God. But if I submit myself to the Spirit, and I think, and I would say, I would say that's a salvation issue, right? If I, if I say I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to receive the Holy Spirit, I'm going to, and then, I, then faith, you know, we're if we're furnishing our faith with virtue, and we'll live in these particular ways. And if you go on in Galatians five, you have the fruit of the Spirit, right? In verse twenty-two, you know, where it says, "Here's the fruit of the Spirit," and so here's what it look, here's what the life living submitted to God, submitted to the Spirit looks like. And, and, and it's all these things. And there's a contrast between living the life submitting to the flesh and living the life submitting to the, the spirit in that passage. And so, and, so, and so that's what Paul is contrasting. And he's saying, here's what it looks like. And here's what this life looks like. And here's what this life looks like. Mm-hmm. He's not saying that if you're a Christian and then you, you have envious thoughts or, or whatever, or you uh, commit some kind of sexual sin, that there's no repentance from that. That's not what he's saying. Mm-hmm. He, he's, you know, God's got the blood of Jesus will cover that sin. And, uh, and, and absolutely your salvation is, is, is safe if, if you are a child of God. But that doesn't mean you can, but to go and to embrace that life, I would question whether you really are a child of God. Sure. You know, if you're going to say, I'm just going to embrace these things in my life, not, not, Hey, 
I struggle. I've got stuff. I struggle with it. I've got yeah. stuff I got to work on. I I'm, I fight those battles and I repent if I've committed a, committed a sin or something. That's different from I'm embracing that life and I'm just going to live this life of the flesh. Yeah. Well, I think, and not to say that you, you, you're doing these terrible things, John, by, you know, like, no, you, no, no, no. like you show, cause he, yeah, I'm not, I'm not out embracing that life. Yeah, when, yeah. when I do those things, man, repentance is yeah. in order. And even the, just the thing that the, the line that says those who live like this, you know, yeah. it's like, wow. I mean, it's that even Jesus was always like, you know, it's not, you know, you said that, you know, if you have adultery, commit adultery, you know, but I tell you, if you've looked upon a woman with adultery, you know, lust yeah, in your heart, lust in your heart, yeah. you've already committed adultery. In your yeah. Heart. So, I mean, yeah. it's just, it is like, wow. But like you said, it's just the, the realization, I think the biggest thing I took away this week or last Sunday was just to, to look at my flesh and go, you are not a, you wore, you wore, you're the enemy of my, of my spirit in a lot of ways, Sometimes, whether it's just yeah. laziness or gluttony or, you know, what, what I allowed the eyes to see, what I allowed the tongue to say, you know what I'm saying? They're, they're always attacking the soul and, you know, just, you know, just, it's like, man, it really is. Cause you kind of glorify the body in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. And especially if you take care of it. Well, and that's what Peter said, right? These things war against our flesh, mm-hmm. or our soul. These yeah. things, these, it's a war. So this doesn't mean that the flesh is inherently bad or innately bad, right? It doesn't, it doesn't mean that. I know I tend to jump to the extreme. Yeah. And, and so, so it doesn't mean sexual desire is innately bad. Right. And so sexual desire for my wife is good. Like I, that's a good thing. And I, and I should not only, not only should I, is it good that I have that desire, but it's, it's good that I act on that. Right. Um, with my wife. Um, but it's not good when it's twisted and taken out of its appropriate context and, you know, whether it's pornography or adultery or something else. Right. Um, and so understanding that even, even these, even these, uh, things that Paul lists, some of them, some of them are the twisting or the manipulation of what it what it might otherwise be a good thing in a proper yeah. context. And so we need to understand that. And so when you talk about battling the flesh, we're not saying don't, you know, we're not not some kind of a um, asceticism or something like that where yeah. we just go, you must, you must never do anything Beat that feels flesh, good. Yeah. You know, like that's not what we're saying. We're saying do do the right things in the right context. Yeah. And 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 God gives us desires for things because they're good in their right context. It's like, yeah, it's like, it's like if the, if the spirit is stronger than the flesh, then the spirit will tell the flesh, Hey, you can enjoy this. God gave this to you. That's right. This is how we will do it. Right. Instead right. of the other way around, which is the opposite usually is the case. Right. Like and Paul's whole point in Galatians five is submission to the spirit as opposed to submission to the flesh. Mm-hmm. It's not that you never do anything in the flesh. It's that even when you do something in the flesh, so to speak, it's in submission to the spirit. Yeah. Spirit it's, always reigns. Yeah. Yeah. So you talked about even living out, living out our virtue for the world to see, yes. you know, which is a great example yeah. and a great, super important. Yeah. And a lot of, you know, a lot of people will say, and you kind of said, you must add words too. It's not just live it out. You got to have both. Yeah. But my question is, you know, what happens if you are not living out very well, you know it, you know, is mm-hmm. it better just to stay quiet? Repent. Or is it better to, uh, okay. Yeah. Is that the answer? Just repent. Yeah. That's yeah. the answer. That's so, always the answer. Dang it. Repent. Was, yeah. Repent. I was, I was trying speak to, up. I was trying to get up, give us all a little way out, a nope. little wiggle room, room no here. To, oh, John, you just hold me to, you just hold me to the fire, huh? Well, you know, here's the thing. Like if you're living a light, a licentious lifestyle, you're embracing the things of the flesh, then repent. Yeah. Go to the, go to the, go to Jesus, man, receive, uh, you know, receive forgiveness and, and, and then start living right. And it is a battle. It's a battle. It's, you know, if you're a business owner and you've been treating your employees, uh, you know, really badly, then stop it, repent, mm-hmm. 
um, don't only seek God's forgiveness. In that case, you probably should seek your employee's forgiveness, right? And and then and then fix it, change it, mm-hmm. right? Like that's it. Faith faith in Jesus is not an excuse to be, behave yeah. badly. As a matter of fact, it's just the opposite. It's a reason to repent. I think the the believers should come to the point in their lives where they just understand. I'm gonna fall short. Yeah, it's okay. Of course. And I and I and the, the thing is, y'all, we also have that perfect picture of virtue and, and ethical morality and all that stuff in Christ. And we had a, that picture before us. We're always going to come short, but at least as we continue to repent and adapt and to yeah. change. It's and, called sanctification. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And I think, you know, the culture is not all, the world isn't ready for that necessarily right away. Well, the world says obey the, obey the desires of the flesh. That's what it says. Yeah. Maybe it doesn't use those exact words, but that's it. That's exactly what it's saying. Yeah. That's the exactly action. the message being communicated in, in a whole bunch of areas. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. If you, yeah, if you, if, and if you want to do it, just do it. Yeah. It's within reason, yeah. but even still, they'll still put, they still put some, some boundaries. boundaries, but you think of the, you know, and again, to go back to sex, sexuality seems to be one of the, one of the most significant issues of our day. Um, with the LGBTQ plus community communities, I should say, they're not all the same community. But anyways, you know, what, those, those issues, what, what is the message there? The message is obey the passion, passions of the flesh. That's the message. Mm. And that's not what scripture teaches. Scripture teaches to, you know, to, to, to submit to the spirit, regardless of the passions of the flesh. Because yeah. we, we all have the different passions of our flesh that may not be the, what's best for us. Right. Yeah. And I know they probably wouldn't agree with that, but of course they, of course yeah. they wouldn't. Yeah. But but I, you know, I, I'd be hard pressed to to find come to a different hard. conclusion. Yeah, yeah. Um, kind of a weird transition because I want to talk about this before we ended the the podcast this week. Is you talked about win or lose, God's still on the throne. Success isn't important, you know, and I definitely agree with all that. You said that, yeah. Yeah, you, you said uh, you I, did, you said something like that. Maybe I, quote, I quoted Kirk Cousins, and he said, "Win or lose, God is on still on the throne." Yes, Kirk yeah. Cousins. Okay. Uh-huh. I, I didn't. I don't know if I said success isn't important. I don't maybe, know if I maybe, I, that maybe I threw that in. But my question is, and I agree with that. Win yeah. or lose, God is still on the throne. I've always had a hard time when great pastors, great churches, uh-huh. um, seem to struggle and fail. Uh-huh. And like in my mind, that's like moral failures. No, no, no. Or? Just uh, just had to close the doors. Just oh, yeah. you know, didn't make pay uh-huh. the bills or whatever yeah. it is. Or and I always have a hard time with that when uh-huh. when you know you think win or lose. I know God's still on the throne, but what about these these success? Maybe it doesn't matter in some ways, but like I've always had a hard time when when pastors, um, good good men or you know whatever, just you know I just feel like I don't know, even know if my question is, but I guess the failure of I, I I just wish I kind of wish God would book back, you know, the the good the good pastors. Yeah, they were solid, you know, good hearts. Um, and he, you know, I just don't feel like it always happens, and I've always had a hard time with mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I have a really great answer for that, other than to say that I think I think there there are there are good there are good pastors who are good teachers, or good pastors who are good preachers, or good pastors who are um, good godly men. But might not be good leaders, or they're 
good leaders who might not be good pastors. Like, you know, like there's good, good leaders who might not be good preachers or teachers and things like that. And so I, I think that's really hard because there's a part of me that wants to say, well, yeah, I mean, if you, if your pastor can just get up and preach on Sunday mornings and he's just really good at that, then, then church will be fine. But that's just not, just not reality. Yeah. Uh, we, we can not like it if we don't, you know, we can say, I don't like that. I wish that was the reality. Yeah. Well, me too. Well, I think, you know, I kind of, as you were talking about, it just made me think too, it's just like, you know, there's a lot of things that we don't like, yeah. you know, and we don't understand. Yeah. And maybe we might look at it as, as a failure. Yeah. But God's still like, no, I'm still on the throne. Yeah. I can still, I'm still working stuff through you. Yeah. Don't worry about it. You know, you may not have this church of 30,000 people, and, but that's okay. And I the don't reality, care. And the reality is sometimes, you know, and I hate to even say this, but I think it, it is true on occasion, and at least that sometimes uh, churches need to close. I, I don't, you know, I, I, we need more healthy churches, more good, healthy churches, not, not fewer. Right. Like we, we need lots, we need lots of churches. We need lots of churches that are reaching a lot of people. Um, but sometimes if you have an unhealthy church and, and I, and I do think that a lot of times the reason church churches close is because there's, there's sin. And by sin, I don't mean, you know, some underlying thing. I think oftentimes the sin is that they've lost sight of the mission of the church. And in other words, they've, they've looked at the community and said, well, forget you guys. We're just about us. That's a sin. Um, when, when a church becomes so focused on itself that it's not reaching other people, that's sin. And so I think a lot of times, a lot of churches close for that reason. And so even if the pastor is a great man, good godly man, Maybe he's a good preacher, um, all those kinds of things. But, but the people and and maybe the pastor is part of the problem, and maybe he's not. But, um, either, but the people say, you know what? We're about us. We're about our. We're about our preferences instead. And we've lost sight of the mission. Then, then maybe the better thing for the kingdom of God is that that church closes. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of church closing. Churches closing. I yeah. want more churches, healthy, more churches, healthy yeah. churches that are doing the work of God and. And that's that's what we pray for. It kind of seems like kind of wrapping it up with that that statement. You kind of uh, doing the work of God and and having virtue and all that kind of stuff and and adding things. But um, what is the big idea, John? If you're gonna kind of wrap it up, yeah. When you when you furnish face, I can speak. <laughs> when you furnish faith with virtue, you live a life worthy of praise. Thank you for joining us on the Grace Deep Dive Podcast, where we believe in real grace for real living. We'll see you next week.